Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters, the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical worldview. My name is Bruce Johnson, joined of course by my brother Jacob Johnson. Hello everybody. And today is Literature Wednesday, so we've got a ton of stuff to break down and get into. Today we're going through chapter 3 of Douglas Wilson and Douglas Jones's book, Angels in the Architecture. So, so, so much here. We've been doing this throughout the entire month of February. And um, we're definitely going into March with this book because there's so much here and we won't even cover it all, um, even all the way through March. So we'll come back to this probably at a later date after March. But we're in this book until until the end of March. So um, this is a really cool chapter. There's so, so much here. And what we're talking about today is um, at the beginning of this book, Doug Wilson, whoever wrote the foreword, I forget who wrote the foreword now, um, but they explained that this is a, technically a collection of essays um, that all relate to a lot of the concepts, they outline the concepts. That's what we talked about in our first episode, breaking down this book. But medieval Protestantism, recovering that culture, recovering beauty, recovering all of those sorts of things that we've lost. Um, in a sense, it's like a cultural reformation in the same way that the reformation that we all know and love was a doctrinal reformation. It was a returning to uh, doctrine before the Catholic Church um, annihilated it, distorted it. We return back to what it was before the Catholic Church, Church twisted it. Uh, in the same way, we're trying to reform our culture. So we're looking for a revival, a reformation. And I say it that way because we're going to be talking about the, <laughs> um, the revival, quote unquote, revival uh, that's been going on in, um, what is it, Aylesbury? Is that what it's called? Asbury. Yeah. yeah. Asbury. We're going to be talking about that on Friday. So we're really going to be talking more about revival. My pastor, Pastor Jonathan Hansen, is going to be joining us for that conversation as well. So tune in for that on Friday. Um, but cultural reformation. So anyways, we've reached the point in the book where now we're kind of reframing this conversation. And we're, we, this is a reminder to remember the most high. So reframing, okay, why are we talking about this cultural reformation? Where does this all stem from? Um, refocusing on God, because that's where our focus should be in all of this. Um, and the rest of the chapters are talking about, hey, if our focus is properly uh, on God, then this is the result. We will love beauty. We will love beautiful architecture. We'll have this kind of a culture, that kind of a culture. Those are the results of what this chapter talks about, which is remembering the most high. So that's what we're getting into today. We have an email address, though, if you are interested in, um, I don't know, sharing your thoughts with us. We always look forward to hearing from our audience. Our email address is trdshow at protonmail.com. Again, that's trdshow at protonmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Uh, what are your thoughts on what we've been talking about? What are your thoughts on the book we've been reading? Um, we've gotten some comments already from some people in the audience that they've really appreciated this book, um, some of the quotes that we pulled up. So that's always nice, very encouraging. So we appreciate that. So, uh, also check out our show website, which is trdshow.net. Follow us on Facebook, Getter, Gab, and Instagram. So, um, yeah, so before we start getting into this, into chapter three of Angels in the Architecture, we have to talk about our verse of the week. And Wednesday means that Jacob has that very fun task. So I'm <laughs> going to uh, begrudgingly pass it over to him to do just that. <laughs> 
<laughs> All righty. And uh, our verse this week is Colossians 3.17. And it says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And this should be very familiar to you uh, because we, we say a paraphrase of this in our outro every single every single episode. Um, however, I think we want to bring this up. This is kind of in reference to what we were talking about last week as our topic episode, saying that through our work, we do, we do uh, everything according to God's word. And as I've talked about a lot, and I want to try and find a phrase that I can just easily say and you and our audience knows exactly what I mean. Um, basically saying like the myth of God doesn't tell you what kind of car you should buy. Um, you know, something like that. Uh, but it's the uh, sacred versus the secular. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, this shows exactly what, what I'm trying to say there is that God in the Bible speaks to everything in your life. God does tell you what kind of car you should buy in a sense. Um, so, you know, I, I don't, I don't like it when people bring that up, but, and so I, I always give them saying, well, God does, does tell you to be wise with your money and buying a car at certain points during certain periods of, uh, of debt and stuff could cause you, well, could cause you to go into debt, which would be a problem. So, so God does in a sense tell you what kind of car you should buy. There's a way to buy a car that mm-hmm. glorifies God and a way to yeah. buy a car that doesn't. And so that should be our goal. We learn how to do that through his word. Um, but whatever we do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, glorifying Christ, glorifying God. Um, whether we're buying a car or worshiping him Sunday morning or eating our breakfast in the morning. Right. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. 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 And good point. And as a chef, you know, how do you cut an onion as unto the Lord? And talking about specifically, what does that mean? And really, I, I, I also want to point this out is that doing something uh, in a Christian way doesn't always mean that you're doing it antithetical to the unbeliever. Just because I will cut an onion probably the same way as a good unbeliever chef will. However, I think the mentality is where it changes. I will cut an onion wanting to glorify God in the things that I do, whereas the unbeliever is cutting an onion for money and will ultimately fail. Get burnt out a lot faster. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's not sustainable. However, being a chef, being a Christian chef, means that you will... um, do it sustainably and continue through it, as Bruce said, not getting burnt out if you're doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my that's my rant, my little talk for this. Awesome. That was your <laughs> theological wrap up that didn't take 10 whole minutes of someone's day. So, <laughs> brilliant. Brilliant job. Um, <clears throat> all right. So. Delving into chapter three of Angels in the Architecture by Douglas Wilson and Douglas Jones. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. 
it is February, so probably coming down with something. Oh no, it's COVID. I'm going to die. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> my category that uh, I put a few quotes under is remember the most high. And the, the title of this chapter is actually a Latin phrase. It's uh, te diem, which I had to look up, which I, I think is really cool. What's kind of neat is what Douglas Wilson does with a lot of his books is it's not immediately clear. And he doesn't actually ever break down, like, for instance, productivity, productivity. You have to read the book and kind of understand his leanings to know why it's called that. He has another book called Gashmu Sayeth It. And um, that immediately you read the title and it's like, that's confusing. I don't know what that <laughs> means. Unless you remember the story of Nehemiah. And it's actually the people who opposed Nehemiah and said, come down off the wall, stop building. They said, and Gashmu saith it. Gashmu was kind of the person that they were doing the bidding of this guy. So Gashmu saith it is like, I don't care what Gashmu says. I'm doing what God says. So it was like a little quip. It was a little way to say, oh, and Gashmu saith it. It's like, well, <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> like, what does that matter to yeah. me? You know? Um, so anyway, so he does little things like that. So for this title of this chapter, Te Diem, he never really explains it. So I had to look it up. And it's a Latin hymn as it turns out, and translated to English, the title actually means, uh, God, we praise you. So, um, and the subtitle of this chapter was remembering the most high. So that's what this is. This chapter is all about remembering the most high, uh, page 35, the book said, our words are creatures just as we are. And as such, they cannot really express the ineffable. When we are speaking of God, no word encapsulates, end quote. So that's kind of the theme of the next couple of quotes that I have is, uh, and he ties this into beauty. So we spent the whole last chapter, well, they spent the whole last chapter, we spent the whole last chapter reading about it and then discussing <laughs> it, but they talked about uh, an, having an appreciation of beauty. And you might find that um, when you start to express those ideas to other people, um, Bible reading Christians, well-meaning Christians, Christians who are truly saved and do have a biblical worldview, it might set off some warning bells in their head for, for decent reasons. And they might fear that we are leaning and running and drifting into materialism. And so you'll find people who will object immediately and say, ah, ba, ba, ba. We're not of this world. We're, we're in the world, but we shouldn't value material good, you know, wag the finger, all that kind of stuff. So as we explained last week, beauty is a reflection of God's holiness. When we, when we appreciate paintings and art and architecture and music and all of those things, they're reflections of God's glory. They're reflections of his holiness. And so here, what we're talking about is they aren't perfect reflections, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't use them to reflect his glory. Anyways, so that's my next category is just because we can't fully describe God doesn't mean we shouldn't try. And this was a big part of this chapter was um, the, the words that we use to describe God are kind of like a stand in at this moment for the other things we do to describe God. The art, the beauty of creation, music, all of this kind of stuff, which is kind of picking up where the last chapter left off. So page 36 um, the book said, when we sing immortal, invisible, God only wise, 
Only a fool would think to set the hymnal aside after the first verse because he has exhausted the subject. <laughs> mm. I love that mm. quote. <laughs> right? I mean, you, you sing that verse. Uh, yeah. Immortal, invisible. Right? So we know we know that, that hymn. Um, we don't set it down because we're like, all right, sweet. I understand God now perfectly. There's nothing really right. else to right. say after the first verse. It's like, no, no, no. We've, we haven't even scratched the surface. Like, we will never completely understand and comprehend the nature of God. There's so much more. But he has revealed himself to us in ways that we can express and we can understand. And those aspects we should try to understand and study. Um, page 37, the book went on and said, Any word we use to describe God will quickly fall to the ground exhausted, like us. Our words fall short of the glory of God. But this does not mean that the use of such words is pointless, end quote. So that I thought was really, really good, is that, yeah, it, trying to um, describe God with words. And I love the, uh, the picture he paints here. The analogy is that the, any word we use to describe God will quickly fall to the ground exhausted. <laughs> um <laughs> Because like us, our words fall short of the glory of God. Um, but it doesn't mean that we should stop using those words, immortal, invisible, God-only wise. We shouldn't stop using those attributes of him. Because he has revealed himself to us through lots of different things in this world. Um, page 35, he said, words like sovereign, almighty, omnipotent are thought to be too restrictive. They are too tiny to express truth about God fully. This is quite right. They are too small, but the solution is certainly not to be found by opting for smaller words. So that right there is the jux of the uh, that's that's the the pinnacle of the matter. The point here is that these words are too restrictive, but that doesn't mean we should then go smaller. That doesn't mean we should then be like, well, we can't. So it's it's just a feeling. You can't put words on it. It's just a it's just a feeling. And the book goes in to talk about, he goes on to talk about how that leads to mysticism by not using those words, by not grounding ourselves, by not uh, understanding that, hey, these do fall short of the glory of God, but at least they lead us in that direction. At least our minds start pointing off in the right direction. We'll never fully see the destination, but we start pointing in the right direction as opposed to pure mysticism and emotion, which inevitably leads in the complete opposite direction. It leads to the wrong place because our emotions are us too, just like our words are. And so if we trust our emotions, they're going to fall short just as much, if, if not more, which usually that's the case. Um, so uh, let's see, I'll move to... Let's move on to, I have two more quotes in this section. And then Jake, I'd love to get some of your thoughts on this section. Just takeaways. Mm -hmm. And yeah, um, page 37, the book said, our words about God must be true and carefully selected. We must not be put off by those who use glorious words without understanding. A godly response would be to reject the folly of self-sufficiency, not the words which point necessarily away from self-sufficiency. We must speak of God, and we must speak of him truly. In his grace and mercy, he does not require us to speak of him exhaustively, end quote. That last part is, I, I really like that. Uh, in his grace and mercy, he does not require us to speak of him exhaustively, which, yeah, we don't. We, we, we don't have to 
uh, exhaust the subject of God's nature because we, we never could. We would die trying, right? It's kind of the point of this whole chapter. But m- mercifully, we don't have to. Um, the Bible doesn't require us to exhaust that subject, but it does require us to have awe and reverence for the nature of God. It does requ- require us to be in that frame of mind that we are approaching a being that we could never possibly hope to comprehend fully. Um, a being that created us and spoke everything that exists into existence with words, spoke it, and it was. We we can never fully understand and comprehend um, the God that we worship, but we do know attributes that he's revealed to us in his word so that we can identify when others are worshiping a false God, when others are worshiping something that is not the true and living God the creator of the universe. So we do have those. So he has revealed himself in some, in, in ways. Uh, finally, to wrap up this segment of just because we can't fully describe God doesn't mean we should, or it doesn't mean we shouldn't try. Page 42, uh, the book said, God's understanding, his wisdom is infinite. We cannot seek, uh, I'm sorry, we cannot see to the beginning of the end of it. We cannot define his Uh, infinitude by looking at a clear night sky, but we may, in this analogical manner, get some sense of it, end quote. And I thought that was a really good way to end that section. Any thoughts on that topic, Jake, before I move on? I think it's like, it's hard for me to come up with stuff for this because I I never knew that it was ever an argument on on the opposite side to say... We shouldn't be using words to describe God. Right. Yeah. We, this we, is certainly... I, an, the audience probably knows this by now, but we've never been um, dispensational, Arminian, or charismatic for any part of our life. So we have no um, background on that side of the heretical pool. I mean, uh, that side of theology. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's only recently that we've been in Baptist churches even. Right. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, we grew up Presbyterian, so it wasn't until recently that the Presbyterian yeah. churches in our areas either diluted the gospel or shut down that we've had to go to other churches and participate mm-hmm. with, with those people. So, yeah. yeah. But, so, it, it's definitely interesting for me to hear this. It's like, yeah, why? Why would you like... Yeah, I, I totally get get that point of... Just because our words fall short doesn't mean we shouldn't even try to to describe God. Um, so you know, I mean, the Psalms do it. The we we find a lot of Psalms that that do that, where they describe God. They they give these attributes to God. You see all throughout Scripture in which God not not only does God give Himself attributes in in saying to everybody, saying to the people. Um, I am this, I am this, I am this, I am this. And then right. even then, even the people saying God is this, God is this, God is this, you know? So yeah. yep. there, there are attributes even in, even in the Bible. And, you know, oh, when, yeah. when those people give God those attributes, when they say God has these attributes, they're not immediately struck down with lightning. So, <laughs> right. so that's a pretty good uh, testimony there. Yeah. <laughs> In the, in the presence of God, they said those things. Yeah. 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 Yep. 
Yep, absolutely. Yeah, really good point. Um, so last 10 minutes of this episode, my goodness, this just flew by. Um, I want to talk about approaching God with reverence. And I've kind of put a couple quotes under that topic. This has multiple different facets to it and implications to it. So as we discussed in the book Mother Kirk by Douglas Wilson, our worship is warfare. Done properly, worship will change a nation. Um, if approached in reverence, properly approaching God in prayer, in worship, in singing, will dramatically change the course of a nation. Um, and that's because of who God is. It's because of his nature. It's because of his attributes. So this is a really important topic, approaching God with reverence. Uh, and we may take a lot of things for granted because we, we live in a very wicked and twisted generation. So this is really important to study. I've learned so much even just studying this chapter. Um, to understand the reverence of God and where we may be falling short, even though we, we don't think we are, we still might be. So this is a good time to evaluate whether your church is truly approaching God reverently with their liturgy and every church has liturgy you can't say that it doesn't liturgy is structure um even if your church says we have no structure we have no traditions well that's your tradition is that you have mm -hmm. no tradition <laughs> do you so. do you have a point in which you go into a sermon do you have a point in which you you sing songs do you have right. a point in which you give announcements right that is liturgy Exactly. And there is a way to do that, just like there is buying a car, even more so, yep. um, that glorifies God and a way to do that that doesn't. So page 40, the book said, we have grown far too comfortable with the name of our God. While our Lord did teach us to speak of him as a father, he insisted in the next breath that we hollow his name. But his name now comes off our lips far too readily whether we curse or we bless, end quote. And he went into so much more detail on that on page 40. I should also mention that page 41 and forward, he spent a lot of time talking about Beowulf. Now, I didn't include any of the quotes from Beowulf that he included or the um, analytical work that he did on that poem, uh, but it's a tremendous um, uh, work of art to read through and see how he draws similes between uh, the Beowulf poem and uh, the Bible. It's really interesting. It's, it's meant to be a Christ-like figure and he draws those connections uh, and it's, it's fascinating to read that. So we didn't really include that in this episode, but go back and check that out. Cause that was a big part of this chapter as well. Uh, like we always say, we can't include, we can't include everything that's in these chapters because we don't want to, we want you to, you know, we want to give you a taste and we want you to go and search it out for yourself. We want you to read them and then come back to us later and say, hey, I read this really interesting thing. I thought this was really cool. And we'll be like, wow, thanks for sharing. That was awesome. Um, share it with other people now. Start up a book club with your church and read through this. So uh, page 41, the book said, our contemporary theism is really a pathetic and sorry affair. We want an avuncular figure in the, in the sky. Avuncular is like a, an uncle figure. 
uh, figure in the sky, someone to hand out celestial candles when we're feeling a little blue. But the true God is the most high. He inhabits glory and he is the sovereign ruler of it. If invited to approach him, if we actually understood what an invitation to approach unapproachable light meant, we would cover our faces completely abashed, end quote. And that's so many prophets um, in the Bible had this very same reaction. Moses couldn't even look at God. He said, I want to hide in this tree trunk. I don't even want to see you. Um, I can't look on you. And yeah, and that's a whole story there. I think it was... Um, who was it? Was it Isaiah that saw uh, uh, God and just completely had no energy left, was sapped, just fell on the floor, just mm -hmm. breathless? Um, I think it was uh, – oh, I had another example in my mind and I just completely forgot. But, yeah, it's it's constantly throughout Scripture. Anytime people are given even just a glimpse of, um, of heaven, of God um, – even anytime the angels are mentioned, people are, what's their immediate reaction? Total fear. Like soldiers, trained soldiers, dudes who are super muscular. I mean, Roman centurions are not, they're nothing to laugh at. Massive dudes just trembling, shaking on the ground after they saw angels. I mean, and that's just a created being in heaven. So anyways, all of that, that's... That's the God we're worshiping Sunday morning. Not a God we're writing love sonnets to. Not a God who, oh, I don't, I don't care about your theology. I just want you to yeah. love me. Like, no, this, we need to take this very seriously. A man was struck by lightning for disobeying a command that God gave. Don't touch the Ark of the Covenant. They were carrying it from one city to the next. And it begins to fall. And what does he do? He reaches out his hand to catch it. Oh, I don't want it to fall. What happens? Struck by lightning on the spot. He disobeyed a command of God. Now, what were his motivations and intentions? They were probably good. We aren't really told, but given the fact that he was trying to keep the Ark of the Covenant from falling, we can assume that they were noble intentions. But he still disobeyed God's command. He still um, uh, didn't obey him and didn't approach the Ark of the Covenant with reverence in the way that God said he should. So we need to take this very seriously. Um, final quote, and then I'll pass it to Jake. Page 44, uh, the book said, Christians, by and large, do not stand against this folly with a clear understanding of antithesis. Coming to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness somehow gets translated into the warmth of niceness, end quote. Mm. It's that ridiculous notion of, we just, we need to be winsome win some people who go into the world no 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 no. we are wise as serpents gentle as doves we can't forget the first part and with that i'll pass it to jake yeah so i have two quotes to go through and they they kind of go off of uh what bruce was just saying uh and so i'll go right into them because there's not a whole lot of time but these are really really good and I'll just start with one on page 41, which says, The Almighty God is Sigorius... I don't know how you pronounce the second word. Sopsening. The king, and it means the true king of victories. Whether the victory is Grendel falling before Beowulf, or Satan crushed beneath the heel of Christ, God is the only one to bestow any victory. 
The church today is a stranger to victories because we refuse to sing anthems to the king of all victories. We do not want a god of battles. We want sympathy for surrenders. End quote. And it's that's just amazing. I especially mm. like that last part. We do not yeah. want a god of battles. We don't want the true god. We want we want sympathies yeah. for our surrender. Yeah. We yeah. want to just assume God is the the nicest, you know, which is true. He he is he gives us grace and mercy. But that's not it. That's that's not right. the only attributes that he has. Um what was yeah, it something we, we that... forget that he's the he is the definition of love. Mm-hmm. Not whatever we feel what yeah. we believe should be the definition of love. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a quote from Steve Dace. He, something he likes to say all the time is, uh, "People today are trying to be nicer than God," mm. uh, yep. which obviously is not true. It, you can't be. Right. But you're you're trying to not emulate biblical structure yeah. in your dealings with people. Uh, so, moving on to my final quote, uh, which this one is found on page forty three, and it says, "Who is like?" Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. Psalms 24, 8 through 10, end quote. And this is what I was saying before, in that the even the Psalms, gives us attributes to God. It tells us, it shows these, these attributes, and these are what we use. You know, this is this is how we describe God, using the same attributes as the Psalms do. So yep. it's to say that we shouldn't be using words to describe God is not, it's not true at all, because you see it all throughout the Bible. Uh, yep. So. Yep. Awesome. Thanks for the breakdown, Jake. Yeah. And with that, we are at time. So this was quite the episode. This one just flew by. Goodness. All Thank you all. Fly by. They all kind of do now that they're half hours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you all so, so much for watching or listening to us today. TRDshow.net is our show website. Check it out. Send us an email, trdshow at protimemail.com. And again, thank you so much. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and give us a five-star review. Maybe if you really liked it, that would be so, so much, uh, so very much appreciated. And uh, we'll see you on Friday when we talk about the Asbury Revival with my pastor, Pastor Jonathan Hansen. Very excited to break that down with you, and we will see you then. And remember, everyone, in all that you do, do it as unto the Lord. 